Blog Talk Radio. Hello. You're listening to Smoke News Network.
the numbers provide a estimate of the problem. Listing on these maps change frequently. Some shops targeted by city enforcement shut down since the times last week the web listing. But shops that are closed often open on day. And now and not every advertising on the website. Unregistered dispensaries are running every corner of Los Angeles with the highest concentration downtown in South and Times analysts found. Twelve can be found on the stretch of Florida between Crenshaw and Avalon Boulevard. By mapping a Times found large swaths downtown and south LA are dominated by unlisted dispensaries, legitimate shops which can only sell cannabis at locations that meet specific requirements, such as being at a certain distance away from a school or more prevalent in San Fernando Valley. Exact statistics on the issue are difficult to find. A representative of the State Bureau of Cannabis Control said the agency did not have readily available data about illegal operations in California, and the Los Angeles State officials have never made up that number of contacts. The LA Police Department, however, has estimated the number of unregistered stops less than 300. Marijuana advocates in Los Angeles struggle to curse down illegal activities more severe than any other state in California. A result of this by allowing marijuana to operate a quasi legal status, which is limited immunity from prosecution. This is really a lot on the phenomenon. I can't tell you where there would be an unlicensed dispensary operating in Oakland or San Francisco, said Dale Greigdanger, director of California's branch of National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Indeed, authorities tasked with overseeing the marijuana industry in San Francisco and Long Beach that the number of unregulated dispensaries in those cities does not exceed the number of licensed officers. Owners of legal stores in Los Angeles and illegal shops have massive competitive advantage as they offer lower prices by converting the state's 15% cannabis sales tax as well as a city 10% tax rate. The frustration for us is twofold because they are correct. We founded a Cornerstone Research Collective in Eagle Rock. Our businesses are suffering tremendously now because we're having to compete in an unfair playing field. We spent all this time and energy and resources crafting something that should be really cut and dry. It feels like the city is not really holding up to their end of the bargain. The 
proliferation of illegal stores affects marijuana customers, legal owners, and government coffers. Aside from undercutting legal operators, curbing tax revenue, city officials are concerned about the health risks posed by stores whose wares are not listed by state regulators. Some owners contend that many customers don't know the difference between legal and illegal marijuana businesses and fear that they are losing out by complying with state and city tax codes. The only bad reviews I get are, oh, you're trying to rip us off. These prices are too expensive. Owner of the High Pass Dispensary in Sherman Oaks and president of the United Cannabis Business Association, I think a lot of them don't understand that the cost of doing business has gone up quite a bit. Many legal owners say the problems with the gaps are raised by weed maps or Yelp-like services for marijuana businesses. Without the voice that weed map gives, 80% of them will disappear. Shutting down illegal operators. 
He said many of the stores his office has pursued have returned under different names, sometimes at the same location. Recently, the agency has moved the target property owners to more aggressively impose financial penalties in the hopes that massive fines will act as deterrent. Last month, Pierre sued a South LA dispensary for selling cannabis that had been treated with a fungicide, which could result in millions in damages against the business. This is not just a question of supply, it's also a question of demand. He said, I want very much for the message to be clear to potential buyers of recreational marijuana. It's just not worth the risk to go in unpermitted locations because they don't test their products and God knows what's in their products. In March, the city council passed an ordinance allowing the Department of Water and Power to shut off utilities at prohibited dispensaries. Shutoffs have been conducted at approximately 90 storefronts in the last two months. According to Detective Vito Sestia of LAPD's Gang and Narcotics Division, most of the early efforts were concentrated in the valley. So recently, the department has begun focusing on outlaw operators in South LA. Investigators believe the utility shutoffs are more efficient than serving search warrants in pursuit of criminal prosecution that will probably result only in misdemeanor charges. On a recent afternoon, utility workers and detectives from LAPD's Harbor Division cut the power at four illegal shops in less than three hours. Sierra said they would be able to execute only one search warrant in the same time frame. We see an uptick in these businesses opening up because it's so profitable, especially if they're not paying the taxes they're supposed to be paying. A majority of them have reopened, and that's why we're looking at our partners like DWP to find other resources beyond law enforcement and traditional methods in order to shut these places down. Legal weed. Okay. Police can still seize marijuana and cash from illegal businesses if they execute a search warrant in a criminal investigation. But with all criminal penalties for illegal sales, the cultivation of marijuana reduced the misdemeanors of the proposition 64. City officials believe city civil fines and utility shutdowns are more effective and less labor intensive. In Los Angeles, Pierce said his office can push for a $2,500 per day. unfair competition penalty against illegal sellers. Under the voter initiative that established Los Angeles marijuana market, the city can also seek a $20,000 daily penalty against illegal operators. The fear is rarely used 
this act that has to be tested in court. Many involved in the cannabis industry also have expressed frustration that regulators have been slow to approve dispensary permits, especially those that will fall for a social equity program meant to allow members of communities most affected by criminal marijuana enforcement to get in the legal market. The city is expected to issue another 250 storefront licenses, which are more than double the number of legal dispensaries in the city. But the process will not begin until September at the earliest. And Sylvia Robledo, Public Information Director for Department of Cannabis Regulation, the agency expects to be able to issue approximately 400 licenses before it puts up against the city's restrictions against having two dispensaries concentrated in any particular neighborhood. The long-term effect of the city's enforcement strategy is unclear. Although the utility shutdowns have disrupted some operations, many businesses have also simply reopened after obtaining an external generator. The detective who guessed the White Castle dispensary near Williamson will be back in business in a week was almost right. An employee confirmed the shop was open when a Times reporter called 10 days later. This is written by Times staff writer Emily Alberts Ray um, and James Keeley and Benjamin Welsh. This is the Los Angeles Times right there. If you guys are enjoying this, you can listen to Smoke News Radio. California Assembly Focus Medical Marijuana and This is from the Associated Press, August 27, 2019. Sacramento. California schools allow parents to medical marijuana to children on K-12 campus. The California Assembly put the bill Monday that, that let school boards decide when parents medical marijuana on school campuses. It would allow the use of marijuana in non-smoking form. The current law prevents marijuana on school campuses. Children who use medical marijuana cannabis to treat seizures have to go off campus to get their medication. Supporters of the bill say that Legalized cannabis in 2016. 
supporters of Proposition 64, of black market recultivation, particularly on public land. Yet nearly two years later, illegal marijuana grocers were rampant across wide swaths of national forests in California, leaving behind a trail of garbage, human waste, dead animals, and caustic chemicals. Nearly all of these farms are work of Mexican drug trafficking organizations, posing not just for the environment, but to hikers and others who might encounter them. In 2018, law enforcement in plants and eradicated 869 outdoor conviction sites, which were operated by Mexicans drug traffickers on federal land, according to the Central Valley California High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area Program. This huge problem is Executive Director of the Central Valley HITA Program, which includes federal, state, and local agencies, is growing tens of millions of plants every year on public land in California. And it is Huge mess when you finish. One of these messes was blasted by dozens of natural and state officials, national and state officials who arrived in Sierra National Forest in a Black Hawk helicopter. There, in a stretch of forest in Madera County, they toured an illegal cultivation site believed to be run by Mexican drug trafficking organizations. That authorities had raided the day before. The site, just as the growers had left it, leaking bags, ragged clothing, garbage littered the ground, miles of plastic pipes diverting water, a stockpot of fertilizer, soil, and hazardous chemicals. Nearby were roughly 6,000. Green, vibrantly green marijuana plants winding through the arid forest, oddly out of place, and doused with toxic chemicals. Mexican cartels have been offering illegal grows on California's public land for decades, their numbers slowly increasing. Advocates for legal marijuana through a legal market would stem the huge production, but the number of illegal grows has stayed steady in California. In other states, their numbers are on the rise. Traffickers have become more adept at evading law enforcement and are expanding into new territories nationwide said Mike McKinney, Assistant Special Agent in Charge of for the U.S. Forest Service Inter Mountain Region, said getting deeper, darker, and harder to find, said McKinney. You're going into areas that haven't seen human foot traffic in forever. 
growth sites run by Mexican traffickers have been found in states across the country, including Oregon, Washington, Nevada, New Mexico, Utah, Colorado, and Texas. In 2018, law enforcement raided 3,847 outdoor groves nationwide, predominantly operated by organized drug traffickers on federal land. According to HIGTA figures, those raided sites are estimated to be just a quarter of the illegal public land grows in existence. Maura Gabriel, co-director of the Integral Ecology Research Center, a conservation nonprofit that has led the efforts to clean up the site and assess their impact, estimates there are more than 1,700 known sites in California alone. Illegal poaching, illegal cutting of trees, the application of illegal pesticides, Diverting a million gallons of water for just one site in Israel. Extra in that the thousands of sites in California is significant environmental threat. Carbon is signature of an illegal Mexican a pesticide so heavy that kill a bear. According to Gabriel, effectively banned in the United States, carbon fuel is smuggled across the U.S.-Mexico border and used by growers to protect the cannabis plant from wildlife. Growers mix carbon fan into the leaves of the plant and also spread directly on the ground and foliage that border them. Research conducted by the Integral Ecology Research Center has found traces of carbon in rivers and also in animals living and dead, including average species such as the Pacific Fisher. The damage doesn't stop there. The growers leave behind filthy garbage, such as dark car batteries. And foods along with other pesticides, herbicides, and roadside killers. The roadside on the public land also supplies California water supply, the water and converting Thank you. 
Thank you very much. Thank you very much. You're listening to Smoke News Radio. Smoke News Radio. As the internet loads, Smoke News Radio, live and direct. Connecting. Quick restart. Sometimes the little holder thing holds down the power button and the whole thing resets. Smoke News Radio. Study confirms cannabis is effective natural to significantly alleviate pain. Using the largest database of real-time recordings of the effects of common and commercially available cannabis products in the United States, U.S., researchers at the University of New Mexico, UNM, found strong evidence that cannabis can significantly alleviate pain. With the average user experience a three-point drop in pain suffering, on a zero to ten point scale immediately following cannabis consumption. With the mounting opioid epidemic at full force and relatively few alternative pain medications available to the general public, 
scientists found conclusive support that cannabis is very effective at reducing pain caused by different types of health conditions with relatively minimal negative side effects. Chronic pain afflicts more than 20% of the adults and is most financially burdensome health condition that the U.S. faces, exceeding, for example, the combined cost of treating heart disease and cancer. Our country has been flooded with an overprescription of opioid medications, which then often lead to non-prescription opioid and heroin use for many people. This man-made disaster is killing our families and friends, regardless of socioeconomic status, skin tone, and other superficial human differences, said Jacob Miguel Vigel, one of the lead investigators in the study titled Effectiveness of Self-Directed Medical Cannabis Treatment for Pain, published in the journal Complementary Therapies in Medicine. Virgil explains, Cannabis offers the average patient an effective alternative to using opioids for general use in treatment of pain with very minimal negative side effects for most people. The researchers relied on information collected with Relief App, a mobile software program developed by co-authors Franco Brockelman, Keenan Keeling, and Brandon Hall. The app enables cannabis users to monitor the real-time effects of the breadth of available cannabis-based products, which are always variable, of course, given the complexity of the cannabis plant which from these products are obtained. Since its release in 2016, the commercially developed Relief app has been the only publicly available incentive-free app for educating patients on how different types of products flower or concentrate combustion vegetables, cannabis subspecies, cannabinoid contents, indica, sativa, hybrid, THC, CBD affect their symptom severity levels, providing the user invaluable feedback on their health status. Medication choices and the clinical outcomes of these choices as measured by symptom relief and side effects. Scientifically, software like the app researches and goes on about this and that about cannabis, even rescheduling cannabis. Among okay, back to the study. Among the study's findings, the great anhedonic response reported by the people that use whole dried cannabis flower or buds, and particularly cannabis, with relatively high levels of tetrahydrocannabinol, otherwise as THC. The more recently popularized cannabinoid, cannabinol or CBD, in contrast, shown little association with the monetary changes in pain intensity based on the mass database explored in the study. Cannabis likely has numerous constituents that possess analgesic properties beyond THC, including terpenes and flavonoids, most likely as synergistically for people that use 
whole dried cannabis flower. Our results confirm that cannabis use is relatively safe and effectively medication for alleviating pain. And that is the most important message to learn from our results. It can only benefit the public for the people to be able to be responsibly weigh the risks and benefits of their pain, medication choices, and when given this opportunity, I've seen numerous chronic pain patients substitute away from opioid use, among many other classes of medications, in favor of medical cannabis. When compared to the negative health risks associated with opioid use, which currently takes the lives of over 115 Americans a day, cannabis may be an obvious value to patients' chronic opioid use associated with poor quality of life, social isolation, lower immune function, and early morbidity. In contrast, my own ongoing research increasingly suggests that cannabis use is associated with reversal of effects of these potential outcomes, says Virgil. University, university sources, University of New Mexico journal article. Uh, study confirms cannabis effective natural medicine to significantly alleviate pain. Like, you gotta, gotta know these things. Um, Illinois hazy new law legalizing recreational use of marijuana. You're listening to Smoke News Radio. I'm Jason, your host. Reading what I find out there that people like to print. If you're approaching Illinois, you might hear the sound of residents blurring their favorite Bob Marley tune. That's because Illinois just legalized recreational use of marijuana. This new law could have Illinois employers dazed and confused in trying to figure out how to make sure their employees aren't stoned on the job. Dinah rightly said, you don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. But as with most things in law and technology, it's not that simple. Far from it. In fact, given the state of today's drug testing technology, it doesn't indicate when exactly someone puffed the magic dragon. A sampling to put this into context, Colorado and Washington became the first states to legalize recreational use in 2012. Oregon and Alaska did so in 2014. California, Maine, Massachusetts, and Nevada followed suit in 2016. Vermont went in the same direction in 2018. Illinois boarded the magic bus this year on June 25th. Major Pritzker signed into effect the Cannabis Regulation and Tax Act, which will take effect on January 1st. 2020. This new law protects employees' right to use marijuana during off-duty hours. It amends the Illinois' Right to Privacy in the Workplace Act, which prevents employers from disciplining or discharging employees for using lawful products off the work 
workplace premises during non-working hours. The amendment cuts through the fog by defining the phrase lawful products to mean products that are legal under state law, which is particularly noteworthy because cannabis use remains illegal under federal law. But what about federal and state laws that strictly require employees to keep off the grass? Illinois employers may continue using drug testing that federal and state laws require and also may continue to use their existing policies in order to maintain federal contracts. Further, the new law provides that Illinois employers may use reasonable zero tolerance or drug-free workplace policies or employment policies concerning drug testing, smoking, consumption, storage, or use of cannabis in the workplace, or while on call, provided that the policy is applied in a non-discriminatory manner. But here's the question. How can an employee police its workforce to ensure employees are sober on the job? Current drug tests are not accurate enough to determine if someone was actually under the influence of marijuana during working hours. Indeed, it's reported that pot may appear on a drug screen up to 30 days after it has been used, depending on factors such as how how much body fat a person has, how often he she consumes it, how one smokes and the sensitivity of the test. So there's a risk that an employee who fails a drug screen on Monday will claim he she had used marijuana on Sunday or well before the drug screen didn't flag on-duty usage. The new law empowers employers to consider an employee to be under the influence of cannabis if they have a good faith belief that the employee manifests, that they have a good faith belief that the employee manifests specific articulable symptoms that decrease or lessen the employee's performance. It lists the following symptoms. Impairment of speech, Physical dexterity, agility, coordination, unusual behavior or demeanor, negligence or carelessness in operating equipment or machinery, disregard of the employee's own safety or the safety of others, involvement in any accident that results in serious damage to equipment or property, involvement in any accident that Results in serious damage to equipment 
or property. Disruption of a production or manufacturing process or carelessness that results in any injury to the employee or others. These symptoms. The law doesn't indicate the quantum of proof that's required. The notice that it makes no mention of whether an employee has glossy eyes, smells of marijuana, or has paraphernalia. If any of these symptoms are present, an employee must be given a reasonable opportunity to contest the basis of the employer's good faith belief of impairment due to marijuana. But what's a reasonable opportunity? Should an employee be permitted to submit a written explanation of his or her behavior? Should he or she be allowed to tell his or her side of the story to human resources? Should him or her be allowed to call in witnesses? What about calling in a medical professional? What other kind of evidence should be allowed to present? And what happens next? Illinois, consider a situation where an employee claims he had impaired physical coordination or speech because he was up all night dealing with a family emergency or suffering from a stomach flu or some other difficult to pin down physical condition. And consider a situation where an employee claims his manager's subjective determinations were out to lunch or driven by animus or an ulterior motive. Open issues. What should Illinois employers do? As an initial matter, Studies show that most employers are ill-prepared for new laws legalizing recreational use of cannabis. For example, in 2019 study by Paychex found that business owners are slightly more prepared to manage legalized medical use than recreational use. Legalized me- use, 42% prepared, 24 somewhat, 34 not. Legalized recreational use, 39 prepared, 23 somewhat, 38 not prepared. Um, WWW something. Some of these questions might have addressed by forthcoming regulations implementing the statute. In the meantime, employees should be proceed with caution and consider 
training managers to recognize the symptoms of marijuana use, directing managers to document all facts supporting their good faith belief that an employee was under the influence during work hours, developing a procedure that provides employees with a reasonable opportunity to show they were not under the influence during work hours. Updating policies to reflect the new law and communicating to the workforce that on-the-job marijuana remains a terminable offense and will be strictly policed. Now it is time for employers to get in front of this new law. I've been reading from Forbes magazine, Illinois' hazy new law legalizing recreational use of marijuana. August 15th, 2019. You're listening to Smoke News Radio. Texas might have accidentally decriminalized marijuana. Earlier this year, the legislature of the great state of Texas passed HB 1325, a bill that legalized the production of hemp and thus the market for products containing CBD, which is derived from hemp. The Republican-controlled Texas House of Representatives voted 140-3 to pass the bill's final version on May 22nd. On June 10th, Governor Greg Abbott, also Republican, signed it into law, effective immediately. The measure's proponents did not intend it to affect existing state laws prohibiting the sale or possession of marijuana. One section of the bill, in fact, specifically directs the Texas Department of Agriculture to draft regulations to ensure that illegal marijuana is not transported into or through this state disguised as legal hemp. However, in a landmark addition to the NLs of the poorly drafted legislation with unintended consequences, the Texas Tribune reports the bill has effectively decriminalized weed in the state forcing many prosecutors to drop low-level marijuana case that they fear that they can't prove in court any longer. The practical problem they're staring down is that the law distinguishes between hemp and marijuana by referencing to the percentage of tetrahydrocannabinol, or THC, which is a psychoactive compound. The statute derives anything with a THC concentrate of less than 0.3% as hemp, which may be sold at your local food health store. Anything with a THC concentrate greater than 0.3% is 
is weed. And the grower must either destroy it or alter it until the sample dips below the relevant threshold. The state's crime labs, however, are concurrently incapable of testing the potency of drugs seized by police with the necessary degree of precision. In other words, if you're caught with what the police say is illegal marijuana and you counter that it's perfectly legal hemp, Texas is not capable of proving otherwise. Whoops. In an advisory bulletin released earlier this summer, the Texas District and Court Attorneys Association, TDCAA, affirm that prosecutors may just have to sit on their hands until the state buys the equipment and develops the test it needs to enforce the rules, which, again, it just made for itself. Prosecutors in several counties have have begun dismissing hundreds of weed-related charges. With Texas Department of Public Safety troopers are now issuing citations instead of making arrests for possession of misdemeanor-level amounts of alleged weed. Prosecutors in Tyrant County, the state's third-largest, told the Tribune that they'll be able to refile a case if they get lab results on samples within two years of seizure. A procedure currently in development would be able to get THC results accurate to a concentration of 1%, which is not as precise as the law calls for, but nonetheless sufficient to make the weed or not weed call in most cases. The Texas Forensic Science Commission hopes to have it ready at some point in 2020. In the meantime, the TDCAA says unless a defendant stipulates that his cannabis is marijuana and not hemp, any criminal case may need to wait to go to trial until testing on them can be completed. In a delightful twist, a separate Tribune report notes that Texas Department of Public Safety's Crime Lab Director Brady Miles told lawmakers about this exact issue while the bill was pending before the Texas House Agriculture and Livestock Committee. The Tribune describes what happened immediately after Miles issued his warning. All right, the committee's chairman, State Representative Drew Springer, R. Munster. Members, any questions? The five other committee members sitting on the, the daisies were silent and still, some with downcast eyes. The bill's author, state rep, Tracy King, the bill, sat to the side, looking down with his face in his hand as he, as had during Mill's testimony, the director was dismissed. The committee later approved the bill unanimously. Texas isn't the only state that is created this problem for itself of late. Lawmakers in Florida and Ohio, among others, have also passed pro-hemp laws that inadvertently kneecap anti-marijuana enforcement. In one of the several exasperated sides in this bulletin, T. 
TDCAA couldn't resist calling out this oversight. Smoke News Radio. Because if you got to smoke your news, make sure it's made of hemp. Given listen to Texas might have accidentally decriminalized marijuana August 21st, 2019. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Smoke News Radio, where some fancy saying fits in as I read things that other people have written about burning fuel and jets going into space, picking up fuel and fiery bombs from the bottom of the ocean is how to make music happen. News isn't always what you want it to be. It's not always understanding of how things are created, but how they grow through many years of practice, of putting things together, because we are more interesting as a human working about having news stations about legalizing a plant and any other creature you can think of in the solar galaxy space system. Because if you don't legalize the green space-wide, you know, people won't be able to find their healing this. People will be able to chill out, do their thing, get a little smile, get a little relaxed, do whatever humans have been doing since the days of Neanderthals that had this plant held over a fire and it was just so awesome they were dancing around making cave paintings of the gods. If, if you're a creature you don't really speak a language and you're like making cave paintings of ganja, like come on, something's up. Like we really like ganja. We don't know what to do with ourselves sometimes. Sometimes we need to reset. Sometimes our body didn't grow right. And, you know, humans have not historically had health plans. So we've been in pain for a very, very, very long time. And so humans chasing down the cannabis, helping us relieve our pain, it makes perfect sense why there would be why there are groups that didn't want us to have it because uh, there's money in it. And as money is coming out right now, so much money everywhere in the world of marijuana, the world of hemp, the world of uh, supplements, natural healing forms, natural things out there that they can't all fit at Long's Drugs, but Long's Drugs is picking up. These places are figuring out that humans want to heal. We're all here for the long haul. We want people to not live in pain, and ganja helps us get through the pains that we have. really want to thank you for listening to Smoke News Radio. This is episode six, and it's August 29th, 2019, on a Thursday. I'm your host, Jason Isaac Huff-Brodsky, just throwing my energies out there. Jason Brodsky, Jason Isaac Brodsky, um, Jabra, uh, Wendell, um, the Herbalist, you know, Shark, uh, 
JSNB. You know, just bringing it to you. Much love, everybody. Smoke News Radio.